Well, let's get into the Word. Father, open our hearts today. We know that your Bible is not just another book. It's not just another inspiring book. It has the power to transform and to change our lives. And we open up our hearts to you right now, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us, that your Word would accomplish in us everything that you want to do. We ask God in Jesus' name. Amen. It was several months before Janice and I moved uh, to this area, northeast Ohio, and we had been raised here. Uh, She had been uh, out in Russell Township in Geauga County, and I grew up in Youngstown and then moved to Kent. Uh, When I went to Kent State, I ended up staying for 14 years. No, it didn't take me that long to graduate, but I ended up working there and uh, doing some other things. But before we came back to this area, we were part of a church in Missouri, uh, James River, and uh, we were very close to Gary Smalley. Some of you may be aware of who Gary Smalley is. Uh, Gary Smalley and John Trent wrote uh, a book called The Blessing uh, that came out, I think, over 20 years ago now. But I remember hearing Gary Smalley um, speak about the blessing on a Sunday morning. And it's interesting because sometimes the Lord shows you things long before you know what's going on or what's happening. We had not yet said that we were coming to this area, and we didn't know that we were going to start a church. I was uh, working on the national staff for university ministries down there and uh, called Chi Alpha, and uh, we were happy where we were. Janice had a great job, and I had a great job. And, but the Lord said, when you start your new church, I want you to make this word about the blessing part of the spiritual DNA of your church. And I think in large measure it has become. This is a church that blesses. And I have to tell you, uh, some of you may have only been here for a couple weeks. Maybe this is your first Sunday. Maybe you've been here for a while. And you say, you know, um, you know, is our church a friendly church? I don't care how long you be here, you've been here. You need to be part of reaching out and blessing people that come in. And not only people that are coming in, out in the world, we need to know how to have the power to bless. Jesus did that wherever he went. He changed people's lives by words that he spoke over them. Some of them were prophetic words. Some of them were words of destiny. Some of them were words of identity. Do you know that God gives the church the same ability today? And he calls us to change the world around us by the words that we speak. There is so much about the spoken word, about our tongues, about what we say to people and how we say things. There are cautionary words about not cursing people. There are other words that encourage us to bless people. But we need to be uh, really understanding what the Lord is saying. So in our series on James, he's talking about blessing and cursing. So we're going to take about three weeks to break this down and look at what he's saying because I feel like this is a very part of who we are who God wants us to be, and they're very important words for the church. James says in James 3, 1, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It's so clear in modern English. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. 
We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit and its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn whenever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong wherever the pilot chooses to go. Verse 5, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. That may be a little confusing, but we're going to break that down. Verse 7 says, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. How many of you would say that's a hard thing? Okay, it is a restless and evil and full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. So sometimes we praise God with our words. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. He's talking about blessing and cursing coming from the same source. And he uses a lot of metaphors here, but he's talking about us. In verse 10, it says, So blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Some of you probably remember years ago I shared a story, some of you that have been around for a while, about things that came out of my mouth when I slammed my fingers in the car door. It's amazing what you forget is still in your heart when you experience something like that. Okay, You say, well, that's forgivable. But sometimes in the moment, those of us who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can hear ourselves saying things about other people, saying things to our children, saying things to co-workers, and we say, where did that come from? Well, the Bible confronts this, and James confronts this, and I think we need to be honest in confronting this. And he says, surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. What's not right? That blessing and cursing are coming out of the same well, out of our heart. Does a spring of water bubble out both with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. The ability to speak sets us apart from all the rest of creation, all the rest of nature. Although sometimes I think my dog can read my mind and beam thought waves at me. Even the smartest of dogs, even the smartest of animals can't speak. We are made in God's image, and being made in God's image, we are like God. God spoke and everything was created. Have you noticed the power when God speaks, wonderful things happen? Okay, sometimes it's terrifying when God speaks, when God speaks words that uh, kind of lay our hearts bare. But being made in God's image, he has given us the power to create and communicate And unfortunately, we can also destroy with our tongues. And by the way, God is an infinite creator. He has made us finite creators. Part of being made in God's image is that we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to go with good or with evil. We have the ability to speak good or speak evil. And we need to learn to be like God and use these things that he's given us for his glory. So James gives us a clear warning here. He says we need to understand the power of speech in accomplishing God's will. We also need to understand that our speech can actually destroy and undermine and do uh, devastating things if we're not careful. James acknowledges that controlling our speech is one of the most difficult areas of discipleship in our lives. And, And again, how many of you would be honest and say it's true? Because what we speak indicates what's in here. 
what comes out of our mouths. And sometimes in moments of vulnerability, we see it's easy to control when things are going well. But sometimes in the midst of a crisis situation, it's almost like we're in, the, in, in a grape press and all of the, the wine, whether it's good or bad, is, is flowing out of us. So whatever we say reveals the true condition of our soul. Inconsistency in our speech, if we're one of those people that blesses and curses at the same time, shows us there are areas of our life that God has not yet come into and redeemed. It's okay, we're a work in process. We're not going to condemn anybody today, but we need to be aware and be honest. So when we see these things in our life, they're an indication that we need to pay attention and say, Lord, why, does that, why did that come out of me? Why did I do that? And uh, like I say in my marriage ceremony, saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, need to be part of our lexicon because we make mistakes. We need to learn to uh, ask forgiveness. I, I've seen people in work situations totally de, uh, defuse a really bad situation when a boss or somebody in control of a situation says, you know, I really blew it there and I need to ask your forgiveness, I'm sorry. Or when a parent says that to their child, it can reset a relationship, it can restore and even model uh, parents and grandparents, it can model to our children the way to reconcile and own our own uh, relationships, own our own uh, speech and ability, our, our uh, behavior. So what does speech indicate about your spiritual life and maturity and faith in Jesus Christ? Does your speech exclude you from leadership callings in the church? James begins by saying, hey, uh, you better be careful about being a teacher because you're going to be held to a higher standard of judgment. That's how, God, how seriously God considers uh, what we say. When I stand up before you, or we have other leaders in the church stand up before you, there is a there's an accountability to God that we need to take very seriously. The Lord says, don't be quick to be a teacher. Don't be quick to speak spiritually into other people's lives. And lately, I've noticed that some of our politicians are quoting the Bible a lot. My caution to them is you better make sure you're rightly dividing the word and teaching the word the way it's supposed to be and not just pulling things out uh, like the insurance salesman that uh, tried to sell me insurance, life insurance many years ago. And he says, you know, the Bible says... He says, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. And I said, can we talk about the context and what you're talking about there? And I didn't buy insurance from him. There's some truth in that, but we need to be careful when we use the word, don't we? So let's talk about what James means by blessing. Does, do all of you know what, what blessing means? James tells us that we can't bless God while cursing people around us. Now, I want to be very honest and frank with you. I grew up in a good church, but like most churches, uh, it was made of people. And when something is made of people, yeah, the church would be perfect if it, just, if it wasn't for people. The God part is okay. But if there are people in the church, what's going to happen? It's going to be imperfect, right? Okay. But I was confused as a child, thinking back to my childhood, that some of the people that spoke out the most in my church, some of the people that seemed to be most religious, were the people that were the meanest people I've ever met in my life. I would see people leave church, and by the time they got halfway to their car, they lost all the religious facade that they had. And they were yelling at one another and yelling at their kids. Now, that's human nature, right? 
Okay, don't guilt out on me. Stay with me here. But it should be an indication that if we're not the same in our living room, if we're not the same at work that we are when we're worshiping God together with the people of God, there's something wrong there. If our speech isn't consistent, if we're not living a life of consistency, speaking evil and cursing people around us indicates a source of bitterness. More churches, families, organizations, and I've got to tell you, companies have their own culture. It doesn't matter whether you are on the bottom of the rung in your company, whether you're leading from the middle, whether you're at the top of the company, there's a culture and you can make a difference by being a person that blesses. There's a, when I had my first teaching job out of college, I, I, there was an assistant principal in the school that I worked in. I forget her last name, but her first name was Diane. And she changed. It was her first year there. It was my first year teaching. It was her first year there. She changed the whole culture. The school that I was teaching in, it was Talmadge, actually, not far. They just had a terrible strike, and there was a lot of anger, bitterness. People had sided with one side or the other. Students wanted to know why teachers were throwing rocks and stuff like that, and it was just a lot of healing needed to happen. Diane started writing little notes of encouragements to teachers and putting them in her mailbox. And I remember getting one of those notes. She said, I walked by your class the other day, and I saw you interacting with the students. You have a real gift. What that did for me as a young teacher was so powerful because she took an opportunity to bless and encourage. So I want to tell you, wherever you are, wherever you're working, uh, where you shop, where you, whether you go to the library, wherever you are, you can make a difference with the people around you by the things that you say and by the way that you say them. Bitterness, on the other hand, spreads like a rotten spot on an apple. Have you ever been in a situation and one person set the mood for uh, a whole situation and instantly you felt this spread through the room or spread through an organization? There are people literally that will poison an organization by the bitterness of what they say and what they do, by gossiping, by slandering, by undermining. And I've had people say, yeah, but what I'm saying is true. Well, you don't need to say it. Is that true? Sometimes we just need to, what we see, we need to keep to ourselves and pray and encourage people. We don't need to be part of the problem. We need to be part of the solution. Unhealthy disciples can be toxic. They have a mixture of blessing and cursing flowing from their lives. And people around us that don't know who Jesus is look at us and they say, if that's what a Christian is, they're just like me. They're not really any different. So we don't have to be perfect, but we should be growing. We should be positive in the way that we impact people around us. Choosing to bless even our enemies uh, is a choice. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. Can I tell you that when you bless people that have hurt you, it's one of the most godlike things that you'll ever do. Because when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Lord set a model for us. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called. Did you know you have a calling to bless people, even people that have hurt you, even people that have been negative to you? And I have had people that have uh, betrayed me. I've had people that have hurt me. I've had people that have spoken words about me. And when I learn to bless them, there's something that starts healing in my heart. They don't have power over me any longer. Their words don't have power because I release in forgiveness and I'm able to bless them instead of cursing them, instead of going back. If you get caught in that situation, who's in, who's in control of the situation, by the way? If you curse those who curse you, you're reacting. 
You're being controlled by an outside force that's not Jesus. When you bless even people that curse you, who's in control of the situation? You're saying, Lord, I choose to honor you. I'm going to do it your way. And when you do that, it releases God's authority and power into that situation. Just like love, blessing is a choice. It's not always a feeling. I love the feelings that you get when you feel love for somebody, but sometimes love is a choice. It's the way that we act toward people. So what is blessing? Blessing could be one of those churchy words that are hard to pin down. We say, you know, be blessed. God bless you. People don't always know what we mean. It can mean a good thing that's happened. It can mean general happiness. It can mean abundance. But how does the Bible define blessing? When we see Jesus being taken to the temple to be blessed as a child, do you remember this in Luke 2? We're not going to look it up for time's sake. Jesus' parents take him uh, to the temple to be dedicated as a child. And when they get there, they meet two people, Anna and Simeon. These are people that have been waiting for Messiah to come. And these people take Jesus in their arms and speak words of destiny, words of actually trajectory. This is the one who's going to change the world. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph listening to this going, wow, you know, this doesn't happen with every... But think of the powerful words that were spoken over him. Throughout the Jewish uh, lifestyle, blessing is taught. And Gary Smalley in his book, The Blessing, Gary Smalley and John Trent in their book, The Blessing, uh, took a look at Jewish life to come up with a clear idea of what the Bible talks about with blessing. Every newborn was taken to the priest for consecration and blessing. They were blessed in, at their bar mitzvah or bar mitzvah at the age 12. Their words were spoken over them and they were invited into the adult community and they were given a place, a sense of identity that the community helped them find. And by the way, this is why we dedicate uh, children. And this is why if you've been in our Living Free class, one of the first things we teach people to do is understand their original design. How do we do that? We pray together and God gives words and revelations. We speak these to other people, words of encouragement for them. It's one of the most powerful things that I've ever seen. I've seen people sit in a chair as we've prayed for them and we pray blessing over them. They're almost afraid you know, of what's going to happen. But as they begin to hear these words of encouragement and things that God speaks, there's a healing that takes place in people's hearts. How many of you have experienced that? Blessing was and is part of the traditional Jewish faith. So at bar mitzvah, at marriage, there were words that were spoken that husband and wife spoke to one another. One generation passing blessing to the next. We see Jacob before he dies uh, and somebody was telling me about an experience in their family this morning similar to this. Before Jacob goes home, he gathers his family around them and he has a word of blessing. He also has some words of correction, but he speaks words of blessing over all of them. How many of you have gotten blessings from previous generations, things that people have spoken over you? I was a rebellious teenager running from God and uh, totally out of tune with who God wanted me to be. And my grandmother was dying. It was 1973, so I was about 15 years old. And uh, they called me, they called the family in, and I'm standing there holding my grandmother's oxygen mask in the hospital. And she kind of hit my hand, and I took the mask away, and she said, you're going to be a pastor. <laughs> that was not in, on my radar at that moment. <laughs> my radar was where I was going to find my next joint or how I could get some adult to buy me some alcohol. 
Her words hit me so hard. Do all of us realize how powerful our words are? It doesn't matter what age you are, but I want to tell you, parents and grandparents especially, you need to be able to bless. Years ago, there was, I was called to the hospital, Akron uh, General, and there was a man who was dying, systemic failure. Everything was shutting down, his liver, his gallbladder, everything. Eldred was his name. And he didn't have a, well, he had, he had been a Lutheran, but he wasn't really serving the Lord at that time, 89 years old. And I got there and the family said, uh, can we pray for him? And I said, sure. So we asked the people to turn the TV down in the TV lounge. You can do that, by the way. And we knelt down. Uh, this is a, um, mainly Episcopalian family. And uh, when they prayed, they wanted to be formal. We knelt down there in the hospital. And people sitting in chairs around us knelt down. They didn't even know what we were doing, but they knelt down. <laughs> And we prayed for Eldred, and we said, Lord, we just ask you to do in him what you want to do right now. But I ask God for a miracle. So I went in, I anointed him with oil, we came out. I couldn't talk to him, he was unconscious. 45 minutes later, I'm sitting with the family. The nurses came out and said his liver started working, all of his body functions are starting working. Amen. We don't know what's happening here. I said, I know what's happening here. And I went back in, and I met him officially, and we talked. Well, shortly after that, Eldred came to our church, and on a Sunday morning, we, were doing a, we had a man doing a dramatic presentation of uh, one of the books of the Bible. And he was so touched by that, he said, I want to commit my life to Christ. And he came forward, and he prayed, and he said, Lord, I want to, I want to know you. Well, Eldred lived to be 93 years old. And he was living at Laurel Lake, and he called me one day, and he said, hey, come on out. I want you to have lunch with me. So I went out to uh, meet with Eldred. We had lunch there, and he says, I hear you're starting to build this church building. We had just bought the land here in this old factory. We hadn't converted to a church yet. And he said, I want to make a donation to that. Before I die, I want to do that. He said, by the way, you told me that day I was in the hospital that God wasn't done, that he had something for me to do. He said, now I know what it is. And I said, what is it? He said, I needed to bless my grandkids. He said, there were words I had to speak to my grandkids. And he says, I feel like I've done that now. One week later, Altrude went home. He did what God wanted him to do. Do we realize how powerful it is, the words that we speak? We're not going to finish this today, but I want to take a few more minutes and just develop some of this. But over the next three weeks, I want to talk about breaking curses, because all of us have had curses spoken over us. We may not see them as official curses, but they're negative words over our destiny that were spoken. And we're going to talk about how to be a people that communicate blessing to others. And I'm not talking, by the way, I'm not talking about flattering people. I'm not talking about making something up to make people feel good, but I'm talking about speaking substantive words that come out of truth and sometimes from the very throne of God itself. In Mark 10, verse 13, it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. And by the way, there are different forms of blessing. One of them is physical touch, appropriate physical touch communicates blessing. So people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. At this point, I think the disciples were a little religious. I don't want to be religious. I want to be like Jesus. 
Does that make sense? When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Indignant's a strong word. Jesus was upset with them trying to stop the kids from coming. He says, don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus knew what children needed. He touched them and conferred blessing. Jesus confers blessing on his disciples at various times. Jesus is uh, new to Peter. Peter is new to Jesus in this new relationship. In Matthew 16, 17, uh, Peter gets it right. He makes a confession about who Jesus is. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means the rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Understand that Peter was a simple fisherman who had a tendency to shoot his mouth off at this time. And the Lord comes to him and says, you are going to be the very cornerstone of the church and what I'm going to do in this next season and God is going to change you and I'm giving you a new name. This is a blessing, a powerful blessing. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Amazing blessing. Paul also speaks blessing prophetically over people. 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul reminds Timothy of years before when he was praying with Timothy. And he says this, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. In other words, there were things when Timothy was dedicated to ministry, there were promises and blessings that were spoken over him. And he says, remember what the Lord said to you. Those were words of blessing, words of identity, words of trajectory to help you understand where God wanted to take you. These words that we see in scripture deal with three things, identity, destiny, and relational favor. When God blesses you, this is what's going to happen. Identity, destiny, and relational favor. The word tells you you're nothing. You'll never amount to anything. Sometimes our parents tell us that. Sometimes people we love tell us those things. But the Lord says, I know who you are. I know everything about you, and I love you anyway. And I have a purpose. I have a destiny. I have a plan for you. I have an identity for you, and I want you to discover it by walking with me. Is that amazing? Five elements of biblical blessing. This is out of the book by uh, Gary Trent and, or Gary Smalley and John Trent. Five things, meaningful touch, appropriately touching and communicating blessing. Janice and I had a person in our life, uh, her Aunt Gladys, her great Aunt Gladys. She was a uh, teacher in a one-room schoolhouse in West Virginia. People thought about her as kind of a simple genteel lady. She had a master's degree from Columbia. And uh, she, but she dedicated herself to educating uh, kids in West Virginia in the, in the back waters. She had a way, she would just come and she would just put her hand on your shoulder. And she had these long piano fingers. She would just put her hand on your shoulder and it was like there was instant peace would just come on you. There was that blessing of touch. Now, I'm not talking about being inappropriate. And right now, the world is so afraid of the Me Too thing and everything else. We need to be careful to be appropriate. But I also want to tell you, there's a time and a way to give a hug, to communicate love, to bless people, the way that you touch them, the way that you look at them, the way that you look in their eyes, you can communicate blessing to them. 
And we need to learn how to do that. God wants us to learn how to do that. The power of the spoken word. Words are powerful. They can build up and create. They can tear down and destroy. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So we have the power of life and death. Pastors, leaders, teachers, leaders of any kind, your words have spiritual weight. This is why James warns us we should not be quick to be teachers. God's word is our source of existence. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our souls thrive on God's word. Jesus is referred to, by the way, as the Logos, the word. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So he's described as the spoken word, as the Logos. When God spoke, I believe it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in unity together. But we're told that the very universe is held together by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke and everything was created. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's the word of God. Words are powerful. God's words are powerful and he's given us the authority to speak words. Our words have a powerful effect on people for better or for worse. Now, some of us came from homes where we received no blessing at all. That's usually rare. But some of us come from homes where there wasn't a blessing. Most of us come from homes where we got a mixed blessing. We got blessing sometimes and cursing sometimes. How many of you would say you came from a mixed blessing environment? Most of us have. Often this means your parents probably lived in a home that did not know how to communicate blessing. My father was an amazing guy. His physical touch, and he was another one that he would just, you know, hug you or put his hand on you, and there was a blessing. But um, his words were powerful as well, and uh, I was blessed to have that. Although there was mixed blessing in my home, um, I experienced blessing as well. But I had an experience as a young man, as a teenager, no, as a early 20s, I used to embarrass my dad that he always had a year's supply of food in our basement. My dad was the original prepper, going all the way back to the late 1950s. And I said, I was, I was thinking about that, and the Lord spoke to me and said, do you know your father? I said, okay, Lord, what do you mean? And these thoughts just pouring into my head. The Lord said, your dad was one of 19 children growing up in the Depression. They had no food. Why wouldn't he have a year's supply of food in the basement? 19 kids? And then they adopted one. On top of that, they brought my grandmother's older, oldest uh, brother in as, as one of the kids. Imagine that. So when my grandfather said, don't plant grass, plant vegetables, and my dad filled the basement with all kind of stuff, why am I saying that? Because sometimes we don't understand that our parents came from environments that often we don't understand. We get angry at them and we say, man, I wish we had a perfect home. All I can say is build on the successes of your parents and make it better in your generation. We don't despise what happened with our parents. We love them, but we know that they're people that were creatures of their own existence. My, some of my uh, aunts were born in Italy. So my dad was a uh, first generation born in this country. My grandmother didn't even, I think it was 1967 when she became a um, U.S. citizen. So they were new here. 
And they had all these things happening. And I thought, I'm amazed that my dad even survived. And I stopped judging him so harshly. I'm saying that because I feel like some of you need to hear that. We need to look back at our parents and realize some of them came from very broken situations. If you came from a home where there was no blessing, some of you may have some work to do in forgiving the people that hurt you and some of the words that they spoke over your life. But once you do, there can be a release in your heart and you're able to let go of the things that have happened. Perhaps there was only affirmation of who you were when you did things that were well, when you scored the touchdown, when you hit a home run, when you got A's on your paper. Some of us came from homes where an A wasn't good enough. It had to be an A+. plus. How many of you are... Don't raise your hands. You'll get in trouble. <laughs> Gary Smalley and John Trent, I'm going to close with this. Give me about 10 minutes, and we'll pick up here next week, but I just want to close with this. Gary Smalley and John Trent gave seven reactions to people who grew up in homes with no blessing. And they talk about seven different reactions that happen when we grow up with a love deficit or a blessing deficit. So I'm going to introduce these today, but we're going to take a little more time looking at these next week. Without the blessing, people become seekers, always searching for intimacy, but never able to tolerate it. They often run from relationships after a while. So they start relationships, but they don't finish well. The young lady that is raised in a home where her father gives her no affection is looking for male affection in the wrong places all of her life, unless she deals with that. The young man who is not given any affection may become someone who is addicted to working so hard trying to establish their identity they become seekers, but they never really find what they're looking for. We'll talk more about that. Then there are people that Smalley and Trent called the shattered. These are people that never seem to be able to get over not receiving the blessing in the early years. They never thrive and they emotionally withdraw. I want to tell you something today. God will not, he doesn't erase your past, but he can heal your heart. Your history is your history. But he can take the wounds of the past and give them new uh, significance. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he still had the scars of his suffering. Every one of those scars became symbolic of something wonderful that God had done for us. The Lord can take your life and some of the scars that you have and your soul and spirit, he can change you and transform you. You don't have to be a, an emotional or spiritual handicapped person all of your life. You can be healed and restored the third reaction are the smotherers. These are people that suck energy from others, from marriage, from family, from churches. They never have enough and they don't know how to have healthy two-way relationships. And then what happens is when, they, when their relationships blow up, they get hurt all over again and the reaction starts all over again. And, it's a, and it can be a terrible thing. Why am I sharing this with you, by the way? Because some of you are caught in these things and the Lord is saying it's time to get out of the reaction cycle and it's time to allow me to heal your heart. Amen. He can do it. I'm a, I'm a living testimony and a lot of you are too. There are people that are the angry, perpetually angry. These are people that won't forgive. They go through life with a chip on their shoulder and that anger becomes destructive in all relationships and it leads to further alienation. The sad thing is these angry people, they keep hurting and hurting and they get hurt again and again and they never really deal with the core issue. 
Then there's the detached. They're people that keep people at arm's length because they fear rejection. They can also believe deep down inside they're unworthy of receiving love from people or from God. This was me. I'd say that I was one of the detached when I came to Christ. If I felt like somebody was going to get near me and reject me, I would reject them first. And by the way, can I say something here? For all of these wounds, there's a sin component. Sin is falling short of God's design for our lives. And what happens is because of the wounds in our heart, we tend to wound other people. Number six, this is very popular. I shouldn't say popular. This is very prevalent in American culture, the driven. This is the acceptable addiction. These people usually don't realize that this is a deficit because they become so driven in their lives. People go, man, they're so successful. Some of the most successful people in the world are the driven. But here's what's going on deep in their hearts. And you've seen it with people that are high profile, people in Hollywood, people in business. You think they have the entire world. They work so hard and then they'll commit suicide. And they're really so empty at the end of the day. The driven are people that are always working hard to please others, looking for affirmation through accomplishment. And I would add people that work hard to please themselves. People with this deficit often have a hard time believing God loves them because of who they are. It's what they do that's important. They will work tirelessly for the kingdom of God, but they never feel the joy of acceptance of God and relationship with him. This can be a spiritual and emotional root of a person who works himself to death and never feels like they've done enough. They will work hard doing amazing things, productivity all day long, go home at the end of the night and say, I'm worthless. I haven't done anything today that's worthy. There's a drivenness and a need to be somebody that goes back to a wound often that they received early in life. At the foundation of the most successful driven person is a nagging feeling of insecurity. Driven people can be perceived as successful by other people and they can receive accolades and awards, but at the end of the day, inside they feel strangely empty and guilty that they're not living up to what people's expectations of them are. They feel like they've never accomplished enough. And then number seven, the seduced, looking for love in all the wrong places. When people have a love deficit and a blessing deficit in their life, they will look for things like drugs, gambling, alcohol, sexual addictions, trying to fill their lives with things that are going to make them feel like they've, they're being actualized or they're being, uh, becoming who they should be. The problem is addictions make you feel more and more empty as you go along. And you never deal with the real core issue of who you are who God has created you to be. It's a drivenness to fill an undefined emptiness. In uh, psychiatric and counseling terms, people medicate themselves. They try to medicate the pain in their lives. Can I tell you that God can get you out of that cycle? He can break that cycle. And by the way, there are all kinds of addictions. There are food addictions, buying addictions, not just drugs, gambling, alcohol. And I've talked to people that are addicts that sometimes God will deliver them from things like drugs and alcohol only to see themselves fall into another addiction. God can break that cycle and he can get you off that merry-go-round. If you have a love or a blessing deficit in your life, I want to tell you this morning that God can heal you and fill your life.
Now, I want to tell you something. I'm not going to tell you that everything is going to happen just like that and you're going to be better. I find that people sometimes come to the church and they want the magic touch. They want the spiritual leader to pray over them and that everything's going to be okay. Now, God does give spiritual breakthrough. The night that I came to Christ was so dramatic and powerful and the Lord spoke to me and I, it, was, it was a marker, but I had so much in my life that needed to, needed to be healed. I didn't know how to relate to people. I didn't know why I did the things I did. I didn't know why there was an emptiness in me. God had to do this. And sometimes it's a whole lifetime of being healed. So I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that the Lord is going to just come and everything's going to be okay. But I will tell you that he can bring breakthroughs in your life. I will tell you that if you're willing to acknowledge where you are and what's going on, that he can begin a work of restoration in you. It requires an honest look at our lives. It begins with us saying, honestly, God, I don't know why I am the way I am, but I don't like this. And I don't know why I feel empty, but I, I need your help. It means owning our own brokenness and how that's affected ourselves. It also means that we own how we've treated others because of the brokenness. Because when we have these wounds in our life, I guarantee you, you've hurt other people. So we can see spiritual transformation and breakthroughs, but there's an ongoing process of emotional healing and formation of character in our lives that will take our obedience. It will, it will require us to cooperate with God and get to know him. So let's end with this. God has created the church to be a healing community. He's created us to be a people that live out the one another's. If you look at all the one another's in the Bible, the Greek word aleleus, there are 30 some of them. I forget. I, I keep coming up with different numbers every time I count them. But encourage one another while it is still today. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. It talks about building one another up in our most holy faith. If we're honest about it, the church is a bunch of broken people that have come to God for help, right? We're not perfect people. The world sometimes thinks that you have to reach a certain plateau of maturity and then you can come. But we're a bunch of broken people that need to be healed together. And God is calling us to help one another with this. So we just take a moment and let's pray. Let's just think about what the Lord is saying in his word today. Thank you, God. Lord, your word gives us hope. Your word gives us direction, Lord. Let your word sink deep into our hearts today, Lord. And before we leave this place today, I just pray that the things that you want us to hear, that they would be activated in our hearts and activated in our minds. Lord, we come before you un unashamedly saying, God, we are people that have experienced a lot of brokenness, every one of us. And we need you so desperately. Lord, some of us growing up only heard uh, curses and negative things about our life. We weren't given words of destiny like Jesus received or like he gave. And Lord, we come to you right now and we say, Lord, we need your healing touch in our lives. Yeah. Lord, as we go on over the next couple of weeks, I pray that you would break the curses that were spoken over us. Yeah. 
Some of us were told things that were not true, nasty things about us, negative things, and it wasn't that voice of love and unconditional love that you speak to us in. Lord, we just need you so much right now. Can we stand together? How many of you would say, I, I'm somewhere in this journey and you just, some, something in the word this morning hit a nerve in my heart. And I, I just want God to take me farther, farther. Lord, I just pray, see the hands this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would heal and restore and that you would transform us, God. It's not going to happen all at once, but I pray, Father, that you would just fill our hearts with hope. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask for the prayer teams to come up too. If something came up this morning, maybe you had a memory. Maybe you had something that came to mind about your life the people on our prayer teams are up here. They are ready to pray for you. They just want to pray words of encouragement, words of healing. But I want to pray over all of us before we go today. Hallelujah. Father, we just come to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would take the words that we've heard today, God, about the healing of our hearts. For those of us that are realizing, yeah, maybe we had some curses spoken over us. Lord, I pray that you begin the breaking of those right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, if there are others that never received a blessing, I pray that you would allow the healing to begin because I believe you have words of blessing to speak over us. We just ask, Father, that your spirit would move in us. Hallelujah. Father, just take the word you've given us and help us not to forget what you've said. Help us to be obedient and pressing into everything you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's go in the blessing of the Lord.